in business, follow-up is truly where winning happens. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. How many of you have experienced making a bad hire or had bad hires on your team? I personally lost over $840,000 on just one bad hire alone. So that's why I'm doing a free class called the five secrets to avoiding bad hires that can cost you $50,000 plus each. All you need to do is to text bad hire, spell it out, B-A-D-H-I-R-E to 33444. That's double three, triple four, and you'll be registered. I'll see you there. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview entrepreneurs and bring you business and personal growth tips. Today, we have Steli FT from Close.io, which is a sales platform that helps you close more deals. Steli, how are you doing today? Hey, uh, I'm doing amazing, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the show. So I guess let's, let's, let's kick things off by hearing a little more about your, your background, and then we'll go from there. Awesome. So, yeah, so I, originally, I'm from Greece. Uh, I grew up in Germany, uh, and you know, by the time I was 17, 18 years old, I decided to drop out of high school and start my entrepreneurial career, and I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I'm totally unemployable. I have zero credentials. Nobody would ever hire me. Um, so I did a few small businesses, very non-technical businesses back in Europe, uh, and did fairly well with those. And then now almost eight years ago, I decided to sell everything I had. I bought a one-way ticket to Silicon Valley to San Francisco because I wanted to build a technology startup. And I felt like this would be the place to be and to, to make that happen. Uh, that first business failed, and it was very, very painful. And I didn't let go of that idea in business uh, for way too long. Um, and then after that failure, uh, you know, I'm very grateful that the, the next business I started is what actually morphed into with a few pivots and, and twists and turns ended up being what we're running today with Closeout and, and being uh, very successful. So yeah, that's kind of my background on how I got here. Okay, great. And Close.io, can you talk a little bit, a little bit about Close.io itself and also um, you know, some notable clients you guys have? Yeah, absolutely. So Close.io is very much what sales software should be uh, from our perspective. So we're all sales guys. The, the way we actually developed Close.io was never intended to be a product that would be public and other companies would be able to, to use. We developed Close.io as an internal sales tool. And we, for a very long time, referred to it as our internal secret sauce. So we were running a business called Elastic Sales. And Elastic Sales was an outsourced sales business for venture-backed startups in Silicon Valley. So we would do sales for B2B startups in Silicon Valley. And we did that for over 200 venture-backed companies. And so we had this large infrastructure of people. We were doing all kinds of complex sales cycles, selling all kinds of different products and services to different audiences. And from day one, when we started that outsourced sales business. We knew we hated sales software that was out there. We wanted to build something we would actually like using. And more important than just liking the software, we wanted to build software that would help us outcompete the market and sell better and close more deals. So that's how we started building Closer. It's very much an internal product, building something we wanted to use as salespeople. And eventually the product got so good that, you know, 
that our salespeople would show to other salespeople and they would start calling us and emailing us and, and wanting to, to buy the product. And in January 2013, we released it. And what Closeout is, is you could call it a CRM. We, we don't like that term that much, but it's a, a full-fledged CRM that has communication at the core of the application. So we allow you to make and receive calls right out of the app and uh, you know to send and receive emails right out of the app and track, as a matter of fact, all email communication you do. It doesn't matter if you use Closeout to send those sales emails or use any other system. So we really empower you to communicate more and better and the CRM tracks everything based on the activity so you don't have to do the the, the boring manual data entry stuff that you have to do with other systems and can focus on what you should be doing, which is selling and closing deals. That's it in a nutshell in terms of how we started building it, why we build it, and, and what it is uh, in, a, in just a, a few sentences. Got it. Okay. Now, who would be some notable clients that you, you guys have right now? Yeah, that's a great question. So we, we're not disclosing all of the clients with many, many companies out there, but uh, some companies that you, the audience might recognize are businesses like Foursquare, for instance, um, that are using us uh, with their SMB team. We have, you know, um, lots and lots of uh, other businesses. Maybe one I know that Jason Lemkin was on the show, and and his co-founder in uh, in um, I'm now missing the name of the, the company that he sold to uh, Adobe. Can you help me out, Eric? Ah, uh, EchoSign. <laughs> EchoSign, exactly. Thank you for that. <laughs> so his co-founder in EchoSign. Um, it was a it was a customer just till recently. He built a, a business that they just sold to AOL for hundreds of millions, and he you know had lots and lots of experience using Salesforce. And, and with this company that was very successful, he decided to go with Closeout. And there's many other examples. Most of our customers are SaaS businesses, are software startups around the world. Um, but yeah, there's some big ones and there are some small ones. Okay, got it. No, I wanted to get your opinion here. You know, you talked about Elastic Sales, you know, being the outside sales department, and I've, I've tried a few of these outsourced sales departments myself. Uh, two of them actually, and you know, to be honest, they sucked really bad. So, you know, what, what's your opinion on, on outsourced uh, sales departments? Yeah, it's a great question, and one I'm actually being asked uh, a lot. So. My honest opinion is that um, it can work, and it can work really, really well, but most companies try to outsource parts of their sales process or even the entire sales process way too early. And what I mean by that uh, is a lot of times I see founders and companies that say, we can't figure out how to do lead gen, so we're going to outsource the lead gen part of our business. Or we can't figure out how to sell it to this specific market, so we're going to outsource that problem to somebody else. That's a very bad idea. Uh, it's kind of like saying, I'm going to call this web development firm, this iOS firm that, that develops apps, and I'm going to tell them, hey, I can't figure out how to build a cool social app that has millions of users. Can you just do that for me and send me a, a bill I'll pay you? It's not going to work, right? So there is a fundamental stage at which it makes sense to think about outsourcing either part or even all of the things that you do on the sales side. And that timing is when you figure things out. When you know the process and you it, it's kind of working and you're like well it's working we know how to do it with all the, the the actual know-how and knowledge internally but is this actually what we should be doing with our own resources this is something that could easily be outsourced and either done at a cheaper rate or done maybe with a slight improvements in efficiency that's a good question to ask and that's a good timing to outsource something but when you're still very early and you're still trying to figure things out and you don't have a repeatable and predictable process to try to outsource that and have a another company fix these issues for your business is typically a very bad idea 
So it sounds like the process needs to be set down first. And I'll, I mean, if you're a startup, it almost sounds like the CEO, you know, needs to be doing the work first. And once you have the process documented, you know, something's working, then you can outsource it, right? Yeah, it doesn't even have to be like a process. Like people, uh, people make this much harder on themselves. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be fully documented even. It doesn't have to be even at the best performance rate possible. It just has to kind of work in a predictable, repeatable fashion. If you know how to go to certain resources and generate leads that you then have proven to be valuable and leads that can be converted and you've done it a couple of times and you've taught somebody on your company to do it and they did it with some kind of a result, that's good enough. Even if you just verbally can tell someone what to do, that's good enough. Now, give it to somebody and have them documented, have them drive efficiencies and see ways of how to even improve this and make it better. That's all good. But you need to have somewhat of an idea of is this kind of working because if you're not even there at that point where you're like, well, I kind of know how this is working, then you cannot give this work to anyone else. Okay. Now, with this outsourced sales department, just just one more question on this on the subject. So, if, oh, if sure. people, if if you know, if someone's looking to start with the outsourced sales department, I mean, you know, let's just talk about elastic sales. You know, what is the most? You know, when people come to you, what's the most realistic number uh, in terms of you know qualified appointments people are asking for? What's what's a good target number to ask for from an outsourced sales department? Yeah. So. Uh, just to clarify, we're not uh, running the services business anymore. So Elastic Sales is not taking any customers on board. Right. We actually stopped taking customers last year. All of our successful clients and customers, what we did is the teams that were working internally at Elastic Sales for them, we actually they actually hired them out of our business. And now we have all these awesome businesses that have like VPs of sales and directors of sales that are all ex-Elastic people. Um, so we don't do this business anymore. Uh, but oh, totally get it. I, I'm just wondering from from outside sales department because I'm yeah. just interested in the topic itself. But I totally understand. So, so, but but to to give you a, an idea of like what should somebody ask or demand in terms of performance? I don't know. I mean, it really depends on your market, your product, uh, what you're doing. There's not a number that's universally true for for everyone. But one tip that I would give you is no matter what kind of targets you set. Um, the the number one piece of advice that I give you once you've decided you already go once you've decided that you want to work with an outsourced firm is to be as hands on as possible and I can tell this from experience from the other side there were two kinds of customers that we had at Elastic Sales the hands on and hands off types of customers our favorite people were the hands off customers right because they give us money they give us a task and then they left us alone and didn't bother us anymore we love these customers from a personal standpoint. The ones that were super hands-on, wanted to have 12 calls a day, wanted to work out of our own office, wanted to meet for lunch every day, wanted to be involved in every little tiny bit, were very inconvenient customers of ours. They, they burdened us. But ultimately, results speak for themselves. And by far, the number one defining factor for success or failure and how much value a customer would get out of Elastic Sales was how hands-on were they. Now, this was inconvenient for us, but it was actually helping the campaign be successful, us be successful, and the customer be successful. So if you outsource it, don't outsource it with a thinking, I'm just going to give this work or this challenge to someone, pay them money, and don't have to worry about it anymore. See it as an extension to your team and see it still as your responsibility to manage the process, be very involved, understand everything that's going on. So you can fix problems, you know, immediately and they don't run for months and months and you waste all this time and money and resources. Be very hands-on. That's my number one piece of advice. Okay. Now, Close.io, 
Now, how is this different? You know, there's there's inside sales, you know, which plugs into Salesforce. There's all these these different sales tools out there, right? So, how does Close.io differ from the from from those other tools? Because I know everyone talks about all their cool features. Just wondering. Right. I think that's a fair question. I think that, I mean, honestly, everything we do in some form or fashion, you possibly you could possibly find somewhere, right? You can Frankenstein your way into a solution that does exactly what Close.io does. I think that the the, the core difference is that our customers are telling us that they are closing more deals and making more sales when they use us. And the reason for that is that the app is fast. It's simple. People love the UI. Uh, it's very intuitive. The other reason is that we are the only ones that build a CRM with communication in mind. So in, so in our world, the traditional CRM market, the way they thought about things was that they really built databases. It's, con- it's a contact database. And the salesperson was the one deemed to be responsible to keep the contact database up to date. So you log into your, your CRM and you, you do manual data entry, and you update data uh, fields. It's just a database. That in itself is not helping anyone close more deals or do a better job or, or you know, rise to the top in sales. It's not really a sales tool at all. It's a reporting analytics tool and a data tool for the corporation and the salesperson was the one that uh, management deemed responsible to actually keep track and keep this this up to date. So we we were, I think, uh, the first uh, uh, CRM in the market to truly think about this completely differently and say, what is sales at its core? And in our opinion, sales is all about communication. It's result-driven communication. That's what sales is. So we knew if we want to build sales software, it needs to be communication software. It needs to empower people to communicate better and communicate more to drive better results. And it needs to go away from, you know, laborers, manual data entry and towards a platform that actually empowers the sales individual, do their job better and win in the marketplace every single day. So once you take that philosophical kind of uh, foundation and you look at the way we built the product, it makes total sense that we have arrived where we are today and where others are. I think Inside Sales is a great tool if you use a very large, complex system like Salesforce and you're like, well, we, we need to do some calling or we have some call center uh, set up, but it's not ultimately empowering the individual to make and receive calls really quickly and really efficiently while doing a million other things uh, and kind of be a complete communication suite that is part of the CRM, not a plugin, not an add-on, but actually at the core of the experience. Got it. Okay, great. So it just sounds like it, it makes, you know, it, it, data entry has always been a pain in the butt for, for salespeople. And it sounds like, this, you know, um, Close that IO makes things easier and it also facilitates communication as well, which is great. That's um, one thing. One thing that I want to add to that is, you know, that's how we started. Um, so we said, you know, instead of people doing things like making calls and sending emails and then going back to the CRM and reporting about them, we're going to give them software to make these things like send emails, make calls, and we record all that. The, the software actually keeps track of everything. Because we did that, what we realized eventually after a few months of having more and more customers was that. We had not just a lot more data than a typical CRM, but the data was also a lot more accurate because it didn't rely on humans telling the software what happened. The software kept track of the behavior of the humans, so the data was a lot more accurate. So what we were, and what we were able to build and empowered and enabled to build based on that was a search engine in Closeout that's probably the most powerful search in the entire CRM world. In Closeout today, what you can do, and I'll just give you one example, that you can't do anywhere else. In Closeout today, if you're a user, you could just log in and type in the search box, show me all active opportunities, where the last thing that happened is that 
They received an email from me. They opened it, but they haven't replied. This has been longer than two weeks ago. And I at least had two calls with them prior to that that were longer than 10 minutes. That's a question that you might have, and this is very specific, just to give you the sense of the power. That's a question no other CRM could ever possibly answer. And Closer can give you an answer within a second and show you a list of all the leads that hit that criteria. You can click one button and send all of them an email or give them all a call. And so we've really, you know, in a backwards way, we really empower salespeople to access massive amounts of data in a simpler and more useful way than they ever were able to do. And we didn't intend to do that. We just gave them all the tools to communicate better. And we realized because we do that, we have a lot more data and we can give people access to better data. Um, so that's a, a massive benefit that people don't see on day one. It takes usually three, six, nine months of usage and of like the team growing before you actually start asking these very specific questions. But then that's the second wow that we generate where our customers come back and say, holy cow, this is incredible. I, I never imagined you, were, you would be able to do that. And this is a game changer for how we run our business. Got it. That's great. So and I'll have to test, you know, I'll have to test this out, test this out for myself. But so here, here's a scenario, right? <clears throat> you know, I imagine your, 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 you know, your sales team is reaching out to people. Perhaps you're also reaching out to people that are using, you know, the, the sales forces of the world and all that. So, you know, walk me through, you know, how you would, uh, how you try to close someone that, um, you know, get someone off of like a sales force or something like that. So here's the most surprising fact, probably for you. We don't do any outbound sales at this point. Wow. Yeah. And this is what most people tell us when we tell them about that. Partially because people think of us as up-on-sales experts, which we definitely are. We, we've done up-on-sales for over 200 venture-backed startups, so we know a thing or two about it. But with Closeout, what happened was that when we launched, mind you, we launched that business, and we thought of it as a tiny little experiment that would take years and years, and the services business, Elastic Sales, was really where our focus was. Um, the software started growing very organically, and we were like, okay, this is cool, this is growing even, be, even before we have to invest tons of resources to do it. Let's see what the software can do and the small team of people that works on it can do on their own. And what we realized was that there was just so much demand for it. And people loved it so much that from day one, we were just growing really well, just purely on inbound leads. And when we started devoting more resources and really focusing on Close.io, we said, well, before we start doing outbound, let's actually really improve and perfect the inbound funnel because this seems to be working really well for our business. And up to this day, I'm, su I'm surprised myself, We've been the growth has been so good just based on the inbound leads and the growth that we're seeing there that we haven't gotten around to start the outbound engine yet. So we've been tweaking and improving and growing the inbound uh, system because it just works really, really well for our business. So when it comes to the question, how would you approach somebody who's currently using a, s a system like Salesforce, call them or email them and convince them to switch that's a question that's excellent, and I don't have the answer yet. Uh, I know that this is typically a really hard thing to do, and most of our customers at Closeout are either companies that are selecting their first CRM. That's probably like 30% of our customers, and 70% of our customers are actually customers that were using a system like Salesforce and got to the point of frustration where they couldn't take it anymore, and they decided to switch, and then they found us. So I think that once we start the outbound sales engine, it's going to be a very long-term game because many of the people that we could approach probably need to use us, but we're not going to get them to immediately switch because I think there's a lot of cost involved with switching. So it's probably going to be, our outbound campaign is going to be one that's going to probably be focused on larger customers and has longer sales cycles just because of the timing component of getting somebody to switch a system, even if it's not working that great. 
Okay. Now you talked a little bit of, you know, we, we actually talked about a little bit about, about this beforehand, but um, I know you can't give exact numbers, but what is, you know, what do revenues and users look like today? Just any type of ballpark. So, yeah, so it's in the th thousands. Um, we, you know, we, as you said, we don't disclose the, the concrete numbers, but we're definitely, if you look at, if you're really into like SaaS and, and, and growth numbers of SaaS companies and you look at the market of like, some of the best examples you see out there that have raised tens and tens and tens of millions in our large teams and are really growing incredibly well. Uh, we are a tiny team. Closer is a bootstrap piece of software, uh, but we're on par with some of the best SaaS companies in terms of the growth. So we're growing really fast. We are, you know, beyond the uh, we, we, we're beyond the, the the seven figures in terms of the the revenue that we that we drive and we hope to continue that and accelerate that even in the, the future. So we are significantly big business. We are probably in the top, I don't know, five, 10% of SaaS businesses in terms of growth. And if you take SaaS businesses our size, we're probably one of the only ones. I'm not aware of anyone else that is like a six-person team bootstrap that has those numbers after year two. Um, and we're profitable. So those are kind of just giving you a flavor of the success and stage of the business. That's fantastic. So, you know, you moved from, you moved over, bought a one-way ticket over to, to San Francisco. I mean, you know, what, what is, you know, what is your background that allowed you to, you know, eventually um, start a business, you know, the business didn't work out and then parlay it into something like this where, and then eventually, you know, start building software. I mean, do you have like a, like an engineering background? Oh, no, uh, I don't. As I said, I dropped out of high school, so I don't have any background uh, or any necessary skills. Uh, ignorance is probably one of my biggest assets as, uh, because I didn't know how hard it would be, to be totally honest. So I've always been into, I've always had a passion for business and entrepreneurship. I'm very passionate about communication and language, so sales was always something that, that I did, and, and, and I grew a couple of sales teams very large in my prior businesses. So that's kind of a core skill set I have, but it's all self-taught. Uh, um, you know, I haven't studied anything in, in, in particular. Got it. Okay, that's really inspirational. I, I mean, so, you know, I mean, what was going through your mind? I mean, I'm trying to put myself in your shoes. You know, <laughs> buying a one-way ticket, it's something I've thought about in the past, but it's like you buy a one-way ticket. Do you have a plan or anything, or do you just kind of go with the flow? I was fairly clueless, uh, to be honest. So my, my whole thinking was this. And this is not just because I was so adventurous. It was probably some, a level of ignorance, a level of like adventure, and a level of um, confidence, maybe overconfidence, uh, more, than, more than confidence. So I thought, I'll take a one-way ticket, I'll show up. It's the U.S. I speak a little English. I'll figure things out. I'll figure out how to get a visa and how to meet people and do things. And let's just see what happens. But to be honest, underlying on that you know, very unconcrete plan was a confidence that I believed in myself, I believed in the idea I had, and I thought, I will make it happen. There's nobody that can stop me. And I thought it would, I would make it happen, and I made it happen in some ways, but in other ways, it was much harder than I thought. It was much harder than I thought. Um, and it's like so many other things. If I knew how hard it would have been, I don't know if I would have done it or not. I hope so, but it's one of these things where ignorance is truly bliss. If you don't know what you're getting yourself into, it's sometimes a really good thing because you would never start otherwise. And this entrepreneurship is a prime example. Startups are so hard. If you really knew how hard it would be, uh, oftentimes we wouldn't even get started. So I was just excited to live the American dream, to come to Silicon Valley, to the legend of the valley, to surround myself with brilliance and be the stupidest person in the room. And I was just you know, uh, very inspired and motivated by that vision and 
thought the coolest way to do this is to just come here and just jump into cold water and figure it out. And that's the route I took. Now, can you give me an example of, you know, so you, you talk a lot, a lot about some hard things you, you experienced. I, can you give me one example of, of, you know, a hard thing you had to experience, you know, when moving over? Yeah, I mean, uh, a ton of them. So, you know, how hard it was was to get a visa. I, I grew up as an immigrant kid, a, a Greek immigrant kid in Germany, in a very traditional, very conservative part of Germany. So I thought I knew how it is to be an immigrant. But being an immigrant in a culture that you truly know and you've grown up in, and being an immigrant in a culture you don't know, and having to fight to be able to stay in a country, those were experiences I've never had before. Um, so that was really tough. It was tough to be that far away from all friends, all family, all people I know. I thought, I'm very independent. It doesn't really matter to me. But it did. It was really hard to be somewhere where you don't have family and friends. You don't have that support network at all. Um, it was hard to go through the financial struggles of trying to raise money for a startup without knowing how to play the game. I didn't know how to raise money from VCs. Um, all the VCs and investors I was meeting up with weren't giving me that frank of a feedback. They all told me, no, this is really nice. It's not the right stage. Stay in touch. And I, like, I was struggling to improve what I was doing, and I knew what I'm doing isn't working, but nobody, nobody's telling me what to fix and how to fix this, and I was too stupid to figure it out on my own. So I struggled. The first startup I, you know, it, I was raising money for two years, and we raised like less than 100K, uh, which is crazy. The, 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 you know, the second startup I did, uh, you know, we, we went through YC, and two months later, we had over you know, we had a, one and a half million raised in just a few weeks. So the difference there were, were really strong, and I struggled with fundraising, str struggled with visa, struggled with the culture and friends. I mean, I could talk for hours about my, my struggles. I don't want to depress anyone, but, but yeah, those are some examples of things that were much harder than I anticipated them. Because I thought, yeah, it's going to be hard, but whatever. I'm strong. I'm confident. I'll figure it out. And I did. I just didn't do it as smoothly and as fast as I, as I imagined I would. Got it. Okay. Well, you know, we'll circle back around this uh, into this in a, in a second. But I, I do have a few questions around some of the inbound stuff you put up. And you know, just for clarification, you know, my in interpretation of you saying inbound is, you know, you produce a lot of content. You're you're out there speaking a lot, and I think that drives a lot of inbound leads. Is is that correct? That is correct. So this is people finding us, finding our website, either through word of mouth or through reading our blog, or Twitter, watching our videos, uh, and, and then coming to our site, signing up uh, on their own. Okay, perfect. So let's talk about one of the pieces of content that you put out there. And you know, one of the things is, um, you know, I noticed you wrote something about how to train sales reps to make calls from day one. Can you can you walk me through that? Oh yeah. So this was a a, a big challenge, or not a challenge, but a, a big uh, objection that we had when we were running Elastic Sales was that companies would tell us, well, we want to work with you, but how in the world will your salespeople know how to sell a very complex technical product. I mean, we were selling EHR systems to doctors. We were selling non-relational databases to CTOs. Like very tough products, very technical products, very technical and very specialized audiences. So our customers would say, how in the world could you ever train anybody to know enough to be knowledgeable when they talk to clients? It's going to take months. We cannot pay for that. And, and we had a simple process or a simple hack that really made it possible to, to have a sales rep make calls from day one and do it in a very high quality and high integrity way. And that was that, that we did two things. Number one, we focused on the 20% of the knowledge that's required 80% of the time, right? There's certain questions that customers ask on the first call again and again and again and again. And we developed a kind of what are the top 20, top 30 questions people ask you. We developed a list and we wrote down the answers 
we sit up with our clients and said, what are the best answers to those questions? So we trained our salespeople on like a two-page document that had 10, 15, 20 questions. That's it. That would cover a pretty big base. 80% of the, the time people would ask questions that we were somewhat prepared for. The other 20% of the time where people ask you for the rest of the 80% of the knowledge, what we train our salespeople to do is to respond in a very simple and authentic way. When a client or a prospect asked a question that the sales rep didn't have an answer to, they would just say, you know what, Eric, this is a great question. Honestly, I don't have the perfect answer for you, but I'll find out and I'll get you the right answer. I don't want to give you false information, so let me get the right answer from the internal expert. That was step one. Step two to make this even better was to then say to the client or the prospect, but before I do that, let me ask you, Eric, what will be the ideal answer to you? Like, you asked me about this feature. What do you want me to say? Um, what would be the ideal scenario? What do you want this feature to do? And why? Why is this important? Why is this relevant? So that when the salesperson would go back to the client and ask them, hey, somebody asked, can you do X, Y, and Z? They're not just staying at the surface level, but they can actually explain what is the use case? Why does the customer care? What's the context around this? So that we could get both the right answers, but also already an understanding, can we sell them? Can we close them? What do they care about? So kind of understanding the customer a lot better. That's it. You train your people. If even the only thing they say is, I don't know the answer to that question, I'll get it back to you in an ideal world, what would you want the answer to be and why? That's all you need to get somebody empowered to make calls very early on. And when somebody asks very, very simple questions like, where are you guys located? Or, I don't know, how long have you been in business? Something that seems too stupid to say I need to ask somebody. We turn on people to say, you know what? To be honest, it's crazy that I don't know, but this is my very first day on the job. I'll find out for you and make sure I give you the right answer. Um, let me ask you, why is this important? Is it a trust question? Do you want to make sure that you work with companies that are local or companies that have been established? And that, like basic training, would empower salespeople to make calls from day one, do a really good job. Nobody ever complains. As a matter of fact, Eric, I was just talking to somebody this morning about Close.io that asked some very technical question about a thing that I knew that we just updated, and I didn't have the answer. I'm the founder CEO. I didn't know. So I just told them, you know what, this is an excellent question. You know, I don't have the answer. I'll get it. You know, I'll get back to you. And it was fine. People totally appreciate that level of honesty, and it empowers you to get salespeople ramped up and, and productive really, really quickly. Got it. Now, it, it sounds like at the very heart of it, it it's just, and I, I might have read this somewhere else in a, a few weeks ago, but it, it's just asking why. It, it's asking why, why, and why, and then getting them to talk more and more and just listening, right? Absolutely. I think that the, the most important thing, the most important skill that you want to cultivate in salespeople is the art of listening, active listening, right? Not just hearing you, but actually listen to you and have an internal desire to reach understanding, so not just stay at the surface level, but really go deep. If somebody tells me, oh, we really need uh, the ability to send, uh, I don't know, bulk email. I'm not just going to say, oh, yeah, we have this ability in Close.io. I'm going to go, well, I'm curious. What do you mean by bulk email specifically? Well, I mean newsletters. It could, could be newsletters. could be drip emails. could be – there's so many things that could be, you know um, – tagged as bulk email that I really, I can't just take that at the surface and think I understand what they mean. I need to ask, what do you mean by bulk email? And once they say, well, uh, newsletter, you know, I want to send emails HTML to many people. That's again, too early. Too many salespeople would jump in right now and say, well, we can do it or we can't do it. I'm going to still stay on my path to, to true understanding and, and go, well, tell me a little bit more about it. Do you want to send the newsletter? Are you sending the newsletter monthly? 
Why would you not use something else? Or what do you use right now? Why would you want this to be part of your sales software as opposed to something else? Like, I'm going to go and I'm going to follow up with questions, the whys, if you want. So until I get to a point where I go, oh, I actually truly get it. I know who they are. I know why they care about this. I know what the context is of why they want to use it and how they want to use it. So now that I truly know, I can actually tell you, yes, no, here's how we do things. Here's a workaround if we don't have it yet. But too many people too quickly move on when they haven't yet reached a level of true understanding. Got it. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And I, I really encourage everyone, and we could talk about this after, you know, uh, but everyone should go check out, um, you know, Steli's, Steli's stuff. I mean, you know, it's, it's, if you just look at the, I think if you just Google your name pretty much, you'll be able to find all the, the great content that you're putting out. But moving on from, from that one, um, you know, you also put out a, a piece of content that said, you know, how to manage a, a sales team's morale when your reps have lost faith. And that's a really interesting one. So can you talk about that? Yeah, I think that uh, one thing that uh, too many people underestimate is the importance in sales of having high morale. I mean, startups run on morale and sales teams are the same way. Like if you have, if people feel low, if people are lacking confidence, if people are confused or bitter or disappointed or feel rejected, they're not going to be able to perform at optimal levels. They're not going to be able to do their job well. Salespeople need to feel great, be in a great state, feel truly empowered and truly believe in what they do. So a lot of times what happens is, especially in startups, is you have a sales team, the sales team tries something new, or goes after a specific market or, or customer, and then they see failure or rejection or something doesn't work. And then what happens is very critical. Morale drips and they start selling themselves on the idea that this isn't working. And once a salesperson believes something isn't working, they will prove it right. right? They will make sure that it's not working uh, because of their actions. So it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you're dead in the water. There's no improvement in scripts, strategy, or tactics that will change anything if your sales team doesn't believe they can actually accomplish the outcomes. So one cool, really cool example that I shared in that story that I want to share with you, with the listeners, is that you know I was visiting one of our customers in Berlin. It's a startup that has a fairly large sales team because they're selling to all com- uh, countries in Europe. So they have localized sales teams, people speaking French and calling the French market, people speaking Spanish, calling the Spanish market, all from their Berlin office. So when you walk into the sales floor, they have this massive sales team, and it's cool, they have these hubs of different countries, and everybody speaks a different language. It's a pretty impressive kind of an experience. And one really cool story they had, and and insight and lesson, was that they had launched a, a few new markets, and one in particular of those new markets wasn't working, I think it was France. And the, the performance there was much worse than any other country that they were trying to sell to. And what happened is after a few weeks of that, the, France, the, the French sales team started being convinced that this product is just not working for the French market. And they started trying to convince the founders and the, sales t- and the, the other people in the company that France is just not a good market. This isn't working there. And here's what they did. They did something genius. Um, what they did was they actually decided to split up the sales team. So it's not just like the French team, the Spanish team, the German team, but split up the sales teams and take the best performing salespeople and put them in a different team that's maybe not as well performing. And they took one of the best salespeople that was calling into the UK market and put him on the French team. Now that person was still calling the UK market, still speaking English. And the French team was still calling the France market, speaking French. But just by proximity, by listening to this person day in, day out, crushing it, 
One other salesperson from the French team started seeing some results, closed some deals. Once that happened, another person from a French team started doing that. And eventually, everybody in the French team started performing at the exact same level as all the other teams, and it fixed the problem. And all, all it was was being exposed to that level of success and having morale pick up again and then seeing one little success story and then starting believing again. And then the entire team started rallying, and all of a sudden, they accomplished something. They thought just a few days before that was impossible. So that's a, a powerful story to show that morale is really critical. You need to manage it. You need to resell your sales team every single day that what you're doing truly matters and is awesome. Uh, you need to make sure that everybody is sold themselves first. First, you have to be sold on your idea and your product. Then you can effectively sell others. Um, so that's super crucial. This is, I think, one of the best stories of how a company actually improved performance, not by changing tactics, scripts, technology, nothing, just by fixing the morale issue and the, the belief system that, that was uh, stopping that team from performing well. Got it. Okay. It sounds like, you know, putting the, once, once you start putting the, the, the real heavy hitters and, and, you know, in front of the other people that have lower morale, it's, it seems like it will bring morale back up and people start picking it back up. Um, you actually said in another piece, you said that 80% of the hustle is in the follow-up and, you know, Speaking from personal experience, when it comes to follow up, you know, when I don't have a tool like Boomerang or, or something like that that will, you know, send me reminders, I will forget no matter what, right? So, you know, what are some, you know, how do sales reps get follow up right? So, I think that the most important thing about that is to understand that what most human beings do is that when they have a good interaction with somebody, a phone call, a meeting, whatever it is, and they follow up to see if they can move the conversation forward and they don't hear back, most human beings will, maybe after the first, after the second, the third time they follow up, they will make up a story. They will tell themselves, oh, I think they're not interested. I think they thought our product was stupid. Oh, I don't think this person likes me. How arrogant of them not to reply. They'll come up with some story of why the person has stopped communicating back to them. That's the biggest problem. Just stop being fucking mind readers. Stop making up stories. You're not a, a story writer. You're not a mind reader. The, here's the assumption I want you to have when somebody doesn't reply to your emails. The assumption I have always, and you should always have, is this person is busy. Their lives doesn't evolve around me or my product. Their priorities might have changed. I just need to be persistent to give them a chance at the right time to respond. Right? Probably right now they're busy with something else, so I'll keep in touch to give that person the power to actually make a good decision when the time is right. I always just assume people are busy. That's why I keep following up. And when somebody tells me no, that's it, deal done, I respect that. I can deal with no's, I can deal with yeses. What I can't deal with is the ambiguity of a maybe or the ambiguity of silence. So I, my goal is to generate outcomes, yes or no, good or bad, are both good because they're clear results ambiguity and I don't know exactly what happened and we haven't heard from them and it's kind of in a limbo state. That's what's killing startups, businesses and individual salespeople's performance. So the number one thing is philosophically to not feel, to not make up stories, to not feel bad. Oh my God, they think I'm needy or oh my God, I'm going to really be annoying. I don't want to be annoying. Well, get over yourself, right? You're not in the business of being liked. This is not like a, a tournament for uh, who's the most likable person? This is business. I'd rather have seven people hate me and three people love me and do business with me than have 10 people that are equally indifferent about me. 
So this is not a popularity contest. You're here to drive results. When somebody tells me to fuck off or to stop emailing them, I always respect that. But if they don't respond, if they don't communicate to me and we had an initial good conversation, I'll take it as my responsibility to keep following up until they have a chance to reply. And that alone, that mind shift is moving mountains. Now, when it comes to tools, if you want, I can give some examples and give some recommendations. But, but more important than the tools is to really have the right mindset to understand that in business, follow-up is truly where winning happens. And the, big, the, the billionaires I've interacted with, the biggest investors, the most successful CEOs, all have an incredible appreciation for follow-up because it's so rare. So when you do follow-up and follow through more heavily than others, you're always going to get business and get opportunities that others would th think are impossible. So I, I can't overstate how important it is to have a strong follow-up game uh, if you want to win in sales or in business in general. I love it. Couldn't agree. Couldn't agree more. And you know, let, let, let's get one example. You know, what's one tool people could use to help with follow-up? So obviously, Closer is awesome. No, I mean, <laughs> be, besides us, I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, and, and funny enough, we're actually, uh, you know, some of our team is, are using them, and they're actually also customers of Closer. But here's a, a really brilliant tool, even independently from that, followup.cc. Followup.cc uh, is kind of the simplest, lightweight tool to get your follow-up to the next level. You just sign up there. Um, what happens is you import a couple of emails into, as context into your Gmail or Outlook or whatever you have. And then every time you write an email, you can VCC, follow-up CC. You can just select a, an email that's like one day at follow-up CC or one week or whatever it is. The cool thing is that once you do that, in one day or one week, Follow-up CC is going to basically reply to the original email thread with a little box that said you wanted to be reminded. You can snooze it to get another follow-up, or you can now, in the original email thread, just go one email above and reply and follow up with somebody. You don't have to ha open any software. You don't have to download any app. It just lives natively and beautifully within your email uh, and within your actual email thread. So I think it's a super simple tool that I would recommend everyone try out because it's going to help you get your follow-up hustle to the next level. Okay, great. Yeah, you know, in, in addition to that, I mean, you know, follow-up.cc is great. I mean, you know, we talked about Boomerang. If you use Gmail, there's also a SaneBox as well. So a ton of different tools out there that you can use. You know, Close.io is, you know, definitely definitely the best one, right? <laughs> um, anyway, but moving on. Um, so what is one piece of advice you'd give to your 25-year-old self? Hmm, that's a good question. One piece of advice I would give to my 25-year-old self. Um, I think that there's so much that I would want to tell my 25-year-old self, but if, if there was only one thing I could tell myself, it, it would probably be to, you know, just to, to be, to, to worry less about big ambitious goals and, and, incredible, insurmountable challenges that I want to set up for myself. And having an ambition that drives me to a point where I'm, I built these castles in the, in the sky that then are too difficult for me uh, to get started with. And, and instead of that, really focus on process and try to break down things in a, what is it that I can do every day that if I do it for the rest of this year, every single day, I'm going to fucking crush it. Like my biggest problem with 25 was I was pretty good at sales, but it was very inconsistent. I had like brilliant weeks where I would crush it and I had shitty weeks where I would just be depressed, lethargic, couldn't really get out of bed, couldn't really do, canceling all my meetings, canceling all my opportunities. So I had great weeks and bad weeks and I lacked 
the most important thing in life, in my opinion, to really get to greatness, which is consistency. So uh, I've learned to value consistency a lot more than large, lofty goals and to really focus on what can I do every single day and just do it every fucking single day that if I do that long enough, I'll crush it. So instead of myself saying, to give you a personal example, instead of saying, I want to lose this amount of weight, I just make a goal, I'm going to run this amount of miles every day or I'm going to eat you know, for breakfast, this kind of breakfast every day, just like a small tiny thing that's more process oriented, more consistency oriented versus massive goals that then are very hard to actually execute on. And once you've accomplished them, what do you do? Once you've accomplished the goal of losing all this weight, what do you do then? You don't have a goal anymore. So you start eating on your old habits versus having kind of a consistent process oriented approach to things. Um, that was the biggest thing where I was wasting time and, and wasn't accomplishing the things I wanted to. So that, that's probably the thing that I would talk about to myself love it what's one must read book you'd recommend to the audience well the ultimate uh, startup guide to online sales so i've written a book uh you know and i'm and i'm gonna release a new book so we wrote a book about like outbound sales for startups and i'm releasing a book about inbound sales for startups and we'll combine both and make the ultimate sales guide for startups that's definitely if you're in sales and startups it's definitely something that i would look up to and your readers can send me an email to Stelly at Closeout and get a massive discount if they want that book. Beyond that, one book that we would give, one book that I see is very underappreciated in the startup community, and we used to buy for every single new hire we made, was The PayPal Wars. And PayPal Wars is an awesome book because of a multitude of, of reasons. Number one, it's really well written, so it's kind of a story, it's very compelling, it's a page turner, it's very entertaining, so you can, it's easy to read. Uh, number two, it's kind of a little bit of like internet and entrepreneurship history, right? Because PayPal is a very significant company in Silicon Valley. But the, the reason why I like it the best is because it wasn't written by a founder or by some kind of a reporter, journalist, or writer. It was written by an early employee, right? It was written by employee number 30 or 40 or something like that. And it's written by a very uh, unique perspective. Somebody that came in and was like, I don't know what's going on here. People don't even know that I was hired. There's no office. There's no desk for me. Somebody had to figure out where's my job and somebody that had kind of that employee perspective to what was going on in this crazy startup and all the ups and downs and actually ultimately played a pretty important role in the success of PayPal, but was not a founder, was not a CEO, didn't even have any kind of fancy title. So I love that and, and I think it's an important book for people that want to start working at a startup to really get an inside perspective of what it is to be an early employee of a startup. So I love that book. I recommend it. And I, I consistently find that even the most well-read kind of startup entrepreneurship people I know have not read that book yet. So that's the one I recommend. The PayPal Wars. I've actually never heard of that one. I, I need to check it out. Okay, great. So Steli, what's the best way for people to find you online? So it, it, I have an unusual name. So if you type in Steli FD, you'll, you'll find tons of stuff about me. If you want to connect with me, probably the two best ways are just email. Send me an email at steli at close.io or just uh, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at steli on Twitter uh, and you know, ask a question, give feedback, make a comment. Let's connect. If I can help anyone uh, that, that's interested in startups and entrepreneurship, uh, it's my honor and pleasure. So I, I love to do that. And it's the one group that I cannot say no to is people that are into entrepreneurship and startups. I can never say no to. I'll always take time to help if I can. Perfect. Steli, thanks so much for joining us. Everyone, this is Steli from Close.io. Make sure you check it out if you are starting up your sales team or if you need something to move over to that uh, you know is frankly better than what's, what else is out there. So Steli, thanks again. Hey, Eric, thank you so much. All right, thanks. How many of you have experienced making a bad hire or had bad hires on your team? 
I personally lost over $840,000 on just one bad hire alone. So that's why I'm doing a free class called the five secrets to avoiding bad hires that can cost you $50,000 plus each. All you need to do is to text bad hire, spell it out, B-A-D-H-I-R-E to 33444. That's double three, triple four, and you'll be registered. I'll see you there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.